This is an RNZ podcast. Back in 2013, our biggest publisher of news, Fairfax Media, these days under new management as Stuff, did a deal which seemed like a good idea at the time. But it ended up meaning decades' worth of irreplaceable images of national historical significance were stripped from its vaults, sent offshore, never to return again. But maybe not, as we'll hear. Under the Protected Objects Act, the Ministry for Culture and Heritage has the power to refuse permission to export photos over 50 years old, but it turned out that Fairfax Media didn't know about that when it did that deal. But it eventually secured permission anyway to send almost its entire photographic archive to an operator in the US who promised, in exchange for the originals, to digitise the lot. And the lot was an awful lot Millions of photos and negatives gathered over more than 100 years for the press, the Evening Post, Timaru Herald, Manawatu Standard and plenty more papers. And plenty of other news publishers, including Fairfax's Sydney Morning Herald, had also taken up the same or similar offers from the Rogers Photo Archive in Little Rock, Arkansas, whose website declared the mission to preserve, protect and profit. Now, a fully searchable and captioned digital database replacing a decaying, bulky and clunky physical photo archive was what attracted so many media companies to that offering. But what went wrong? Well, two years later, it emerged that the digitising of Fairfax's New Zealand photos was nowhere near done, but some images were allegedly being cherry-picked from the collection that were showing up for sale on eBay. The FBI then raided John Rogers' home in 2014 after sports memorabilia he sold turned out to be copies. Not a good sign for anyone trading original photos for copies as Fairfax and others had done. And after that, the Rogers Photo Archive Company faced lawsuits of almost $100 million US in total, including one from Fairfax's parent company in Australia. Now, Soon after that, the company went into receivership and the Fairfax Photo Taonga went into limbo. We called John Rogers at that time, and all we got was this. The mailbox is full and cannot accept new messages at this time. To leave a callback number, press 5, or please try again later. But George Walden did pick up the phone in Little Rock, Arkansas, when we called back then. He was the senior editor at the Arkansas Business Weekly. All of the images that are part of the New Zealand collection and the Sydney Morning Herald are safely in his control in a safe, secure warehouse in North Little Rock, part of the the Rogers uh, facilities. As I understand it, too, the Melbourne Age archive in its entirety was returned because they hadn't started any uh, digitization work on that yet. Well, that was reassuring, and George Walden also told me back then that the digitisation was reportedly about half done, and the court-appointed receiver was trying to do a deal with Fairfax Media and New Zealand's government to return the images. From what I could discern, the courtroom Fairfax seems to be well represented. They were there, you know, uh, lawyers on their behalf stating their claim, and uh, photos are in the possession of the receiver, and he doesn't have any intention to, uh, to sell or do anything until he is satisfy Fairfax's concerns. Again, reassuring that they were being preserved and might be recovered or even repatriated. But the trail then went cold, as far as the media here were concerned, until June this year when some of the collection of images was sold through the auction house webs. One sale offered more than 700 images of the royal family in New Zealand, all from that Fairfax archive. 
Now, it turned out that the owner was Los Angeles-based art dealer Daniel Miller, who'd been negotiating the purchase of the Fairfax archive with the receiver in Arkansas, and that deal was finalised back in 2017. The New York-based Artnet News reported at that time that Daniel Miller had hired librarians to sort the images and even went to Australia to try and do deals with libraries and museums there. The archive selection of 25,000 cricket photographs, for example, found a new home at the Donald Bradman Museum in Boral, New South Wales. And then this week, in a statement from a local PR agent here, Daniel Miller said he had difficulty finding the best fit with an auction house here in New Zealand to make the images available, so his company has instead launched its own online local auction platform, thefairfaxarchives.co.nz, where he says the images can now be purchased. But how exactly will they be sold, and if they don't sell for a profit, well, what will Daniel Miller in LA do with them? I never set out to actually try to do this, I was contacted by the court receiver. So when Rogers went upside down, when their company went bankrupt, he went to prison personally for other fraud that he did. The archive, this particular archive secured a note of his, a loan of his to a local bank, a very large loan. So the local bank actually took possession of the archive. They had no idea what to do with photographs. They had, it's not their business. They're in a rural area in Arkansas. So a few people were contacted, came out apparently and viewed it, and nobody could. There were just too many photos. Um, I was contacted. I came out a few times and looked at it. Originally, I didn't want to do it. It was going to just sit and get moldy somewhere, or it was going to get uh, sent to the landfill. We negotiated for a long period of time, and we ended up buying the work. Now, when the photographs initially went offshore, that required permission from our government because photographs over 50 years old were considered to be of historic uh, importance. Um, have you at any point uh, you know, tried to engage the government or have they been receptive, if you did, to them returning them or, or via some institution or purchase uh, here in New Zealand? That could... My ongoing intent is to have every one of them back into New Zealand. There's no reason for them to be anyplace else. The problem is when we first, when I was first looking at this, I contacted a couple of the institutions and there were too many photos. They didn't want everything. I spent, I hired two different archivists to go through and organize the material for three and a half years, one photo at a time, basically, to give us a handle, a sense of what we even had, because frankly, I didn't even know what that was. So then at that, at that point, you know, we have different sections of material that we could offer to different institutions. We did the exact same approach in Australia. We started a couple of years earlier in Australia with the Sydney Morning Herald archive. And I'm, I'm very proud to say that the archive now is in 70 different institutions around Australia, some really great institutions. The National Library has come back to buy its third section of work from us. So it's worked really well. Our our recipe has worked really well to get material there. And there's no uh, playbook for this. this. This really hasn't been done before. So I'm just trying to borrow from what we learned in Australia and try to do it better in New Zealand. So we're contacting museums. We're contacting institutions, libraries, private collectors, et cetera, 
to find a way to get these pieces back. Yes, I've read about you traveling around Australia, even trying to engage these institutions. And for example, uh, one example of a deal that was done, I think about 25,000 odd images uh, relating to cricket ended up in the Donald Bradman uh, Museum in New South Wales. And that seems a a very uh, appropriate um, uh, place for for them to go and, and a good result. But have you found... New Zealand institutions and, and libraries and museums are not, not as receptive? Because I imagine if you've now gone ahead and set up a website where individual images can be bought and sold by individual New Zealanders, um, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that that kind of hasn't worked? Well, uh, we're in the early stages of it, and we did the same thing in Australia. We did many uh, single-piece auctions. And in New Zealand, in fact, for the last two years, we've done many single-piece auctions using an auction house in Auckland. Now, that said, it's a tiny fraction of the archive that's gone through the auction block, and it's more of an advertisement for institutions that we want to actually encourage to buy sections of the work. So we're in a very early stage in New Zealand right now, canvassing and trying to find the best location. Like you mentioned, the Bradman collection to have the cricket was the logical, most responsible place for that to go. Had that gone to some library in the middle of wherever, that would have been, a, I think, a bad choice for it. So it's not only getting the work back, but it's getting the work back responsibly, and that's the difficult part. However, I'm, I'm guessing you aren't... You aren't a librarian or an archivist or a charity. You're in business. You are a, a dealer, aren't you? I'm presumably you need to make sure you, at the very least, uh, cover what must be fairly substantial costs of looking after that amount of uh, of precious photographs. Um, and as you say, it took took almost three years to sort uh, with um, people you had to hire to do the task. You must be wanting to uh, make a return on this. Well, I, obviously, I want to get the money back that we've had into this. I look. This this is contrary to my assumptions. My assumption on both the Sydney Archive and this New Zealand Archive was we would own it for a couple of months, get it to one institution in country, and have it be done. And great, we could save it, we could help it, we'd help everybody, we'd be the bridge. Well, we ended up, instead of being a bridge, being our own island. So it's it's kind of a downside because I never expected to actually have to do all this. But then we had the stuff when we had to just figure out what to do. So the single piece auctions have helped us, helped us offset costs for institutions so they can have lower costs to be able to acquire. So that's really worked. That formula has worked fairly well. That's so that's kind of what we're after. At the end of the day, yes, we need to get our money back. It's the costs have been extraordinarily high. We're not in the black yet, and we're in this project for about a little over three years. So it's, um, I, I think it's going to work out, but it's its one of the reasons why we opened an auction house, our own auction house in Auckland. And the first auction actually launches on the 14th of this month, 59 photographs, historic photographs of Queen Street, fantastic work. And how do you then gather together for sale uh, these images? I see on the website um, there's a note that they'll be sold perhaps by by theme in, in blocks. Um, you just mentioned their series of photos of Queen Street, for example. I know you've engaged um, historian Paul Moon uh, for um, advice on, on this as well. So h- how do you go about offering for sale and dividing up this enormous collection? Well, like I said, we spent 
three and a half years, one photo at a time, figuring out where things went. The New Zealand set was comprised of seven different regional newspapers. So the problem is a lot of those section, a lot of those papers organize things differently from one paper to the next. So we had to go through really every photograph and reorganize into some logical sense so we could have a set of work that was specific. So if we have foreign royalty, we know where that is. If we have wool and wool processing, well, guess what? We have a section of that. Great work, actually, on the history of uh, of sheep in uh, New Zealand. You'd be surprised. Uh, if there's a section of military, which are New Zealand people specifically off in the military. Now, we found some of that work in the Sydney archive. So the biggest problem was this was very porous. So inside the Sydney archive, we found a lot of unintentionally placed, I think, New Zealand photographs and the other way around. So unwinding this thing has led us to be able to create these categories. And so when I say a, a block of work, absolutely. If there is a museum of wool, and it probably is somewhere, we have a fantastic collection for them. Before we started sorting it, that would have been impossible. Are you slightly disappointed that perhaps some central organisation like our National Library, you mentioned the Australian one, uh, had become involved or our National Archive, you know, hadn't stepped up or or even the media company itself, uh, which is still uh, in operation, albeit under a different name now, uh, that they weren't interested in maybe reacquiring the images that I think they now regret and sending overseas in the condition that they did uh, back in 2013? Well, I think back in the day, you have to remember, it was a a different Fairfax. It was a different landscape. And back then, Fairfax was, I would consider, a wounded animal. They were just trying to stay alive. The, The heyday of Fairfax was, what, 1991, I think, when newspapers were thick. And they relied on that for a long time. They bought new printing presses. They they staffed up. They had a lot of operational costs. And this thing called the Internet came and sort of misplaced them a bit. And I think it caught them by surprise somewhat. So now they have all this, all these pieces of real estate. They have all this material. They have all this stuff. They they I, I think the appetite to have these old photos was small. They didn't know what to do with them. And I think... They they were happy when they went away. The company that did the scanning was telling them that they would get immediate revenue licensing the material, blah, blah, blah. It was mostly just a bunch of charade. And, and uh, if, you know, I've learned in life, most people have learned in life, if it sounds too good to be true, you better take two looks at it. <laughs> Indeed. I mean, what was it? I mean, I could see what attracted them to the idea, you know, send all the originals offshore, then you are not responsible for having to store them. You get back a digitised, captioned archive that, you know, you could use, um, which is an appropriate product for publishing in the digital age. But uh, do you think that that model was, was never the right idea or perhaps a, a, you know, a, better, um, a better outfit than the Rogers Photo Archive might have made that work? I think it was a terrible idea. I think everything about it, I think the management of Fairfax should be held accountable. So when people are trying to hate us for this, because we have our share of haters, because people thinking, well, they're dividing it all up. This should be all one thing. It should be together. That's really easy to say, okay? And if somebody has the money to cough up to buy this whole thing from us right now, today, I'd be happy to hand it over to a patriotic, high net worth New Zealander to handle this. But it's a lot to handle. So the thing is, we're trying to just, like I said, we're trying to get these pieces back responsibly. 
I think that at the time, Fairfax was just happy to have this stuff out of their hair. They could sell this, the buildings these things were stored in. They could sack the people that were working on them. These were just old photos they didn't know what to do with. They, they didn't have a lot of understanding. And they had a, a salesman that came in from Arkansas and sold them a wild bill of goods. And in the end, um, Daniel, is it, are you going to, if you get your way and they're all sold, are you going to miss them? Have you become attached to them over the the, uh, oh. the years that you've been their guardian? Or will you be pretty pleased now, um, perhaps as the original owners were, to, uh, to be able to be uh, rid of them in the huge facilities you've needed to store them? Well, I would never consider the word rid because this is cultural heritage. And I consider the fact that what we're doing is a very good thing, responsibly repatriating them. So my mission is exactly that. I won't miss them because the libraries, the institutions, and even the private collectors that they go to are going to have a really lifetime of value from these pieces. We're talking about pieces, some of them 150, 160, 170 years old. But, but Daniel, is, if, sorry to interrupt you, but if some of these are to be sold via the website that you've set up for the purpose, uh, which anyone right. can look at and browse the images, I mean, they might end up individually being sold. I mean, it, this does mean the fracturing of, of the collection. And I guess there's nothing to prevent anyone offshore from logging into that site and, and buying them as well. Well, the fact is, for the last two years, we've been doing this quite successfully in uh, with monthly auctions in Auckland, and that, that hasn't become an issue. Now, a few people ask me about it, but like like I said, for example, we're auctioning 59 photographs of Queen Street, and it's thefairfaxarchives.co.nz, is, uh, people are trying to find it. So 59 images of Queen Street. We have maybe 1,000. So the fact is, this is a tiny fraction of the entire content of the material. So it's perspective, first of all. Let me go back to one thing, one really super important thing you mentioned before, and that's the Protected Object Act. So that's the question of, well, should these ever have been sent? Should there have been a special export permit? Should there have been this? Should there have been that? These decisions that were done back then were decided by bureaucrats that don't know anything about photographs at all. As far as I can tell, not a single person really looked at this material before they just decided it was going to be this or decided it was going to be that. So we needed to look into that really carefully. So I hired a researcher. I hired two researchers, actually, a New Zealander and an American, to look into this Protected Objects Act. And the fact is, clearly... Under any auspice, this archive doesn't fall under that category. So there's been some there's been some delusion, and I think a lot of it was just political expediency. So, so actually, there's nothing in the law that would have prevented or required the permission for the sale. They could have gone ahead and done it without the government being involved at all. Well, there's two parts. The sale, foreign ownership, is not is not even included in the, in the Protected Objects Act. So that's not a problem at all. Foreign ownership. It's a question of believe it or not, where the photos are actually stored. So the government's only contention, and we've received a couple of emails from the government on this, their only contention is, well, just tell us where they're stored in New Zealand. And then every, everything is happy, no problem. Okay. So I discovered some that were stored in New Zealand in an outside storage locker at a Kennard storage facility. Guess what? 10%, maybe 15% of the ones that were stored there were ruined from black mold mm. because nobody knew how to store them because 
people that were handling this, I think, on the government side, had no idea what they were doing. So these were just locked up in a storage unit and somewhere in a commercial uh, storage premises. Hmm. Yes, and I found it and I lost my mind because I'm thinking, what, are they crazy? Is no one even looking at this thing? And they're not. And I'll tell you what happened. The only reason the government ever peaked up back in the day was because one of Rupert Murdoch's newspapers made fun of the fact that this stuff went over there and the government had to react to it. And the only times we hear from your government is when a reporter is asking about this thing. And all of a sudden we get a bunch of letters from some government official or whatever about this stuff. But but let me go back to the thing, the Protected Objects Act, because that's really important. And it's really important to have to have cultural heritage protected. I'm a great believer in that. But there are three reasons why this is a problem with this archive. And, if, and I've read the act a hundred times. So... One of the reasons is, first of all, it only protects works over 50 years old, okay? Sure. And that's maybe 10% of this archive, maybe 15% of this archive, okay? So right away, boom. Now, it only protects works that were have some New Zealand consequence. This archive is about 30% uh, Commonwealth, meaning primarily British. So there's a ton of British and other foreign material in here, okay? So there's that. So that's the second part. You mean actually the, the photographs originally shot offshore that have been subsumed into the oh, aqua? Absolutely. Think about all the royal-type material that was prepared, or the, the British military material, British diplomats, politicians, all this stuff that there was a, there was a large appetite for this material back in the day. That was and all supplied to the New Zealand newspapers that ended up in the correct. collection. Right. Right. So, th- so those are those are two of the aspects. But the other the other aspect, and they're, they're really kind of the overriding one, is that the Cultural Act says that, and it says correctly that if similar objects are included in two or more public institutions in New Zealand, the Act does not apply. So whether that would be a painting, whether that would be any protected object at all, a Maori object, whatever it might be, that's the rule. So our researcher researched 50 different institutions in New Zealand. We discovered there are about 10 million photographs plus of similar varieties to this archive split across 50 different institutions. Apparently, the government didn't, either didn't know, didn't care, or didn't take the time to look. But the fact is that there are plenty, plenty of historic, including Fairfax material, before the material ever left the U.S., a portion of it was taken out of the archive right away. So there is plenty of Fairfax material in the institutions, and we have all the documents to support that. So the fact is that this whole brouhaha of protected objects, hey, I'm a fan of protected objects. I'm a fan of cultural heritage. And regardless, we're returning this material to New Zealand anyway. Mm-hmm. But for us to be strong-armed by a government that doesn't even understand their own acts seems a little crazy. Yes, it does. Tell me I'm wring. Just tell me I'm wrong here. But doesn't that seem a little crazy? Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't seem quite right to me. 
And just finally, Daniel, when I last uh, looked at the story, it was way back in 2015, and I spoke to George Walden of Arkansas Business Weekly, who'd been in the court hearings about this after uh, Roger's photo archive uh, went upside down. And he was able to reassure us, look, don't worry, these the receiver is ensuring these things are being looked after. They're in proper storage um, don't worry. But then, obviously, the trail went very cold, uh, and, and New Zealand media, and myself included, stopped worrying about it. But how close how close were we to actually losing these or, or to some of the photos being either ruined or, in the end, destroyed if, if no buyer could be found? Well, some were, some were stolen out of the archive when they existed in Arkansas. They reclaimed, some, they reclaimed many of those, but some were actually just actually stolen because they really didn't have great security protection. So that was a problem. I think they reclaimed most of them. Uh, the the conditions of the storage, was, I'm, I'm sorry to say, was abysmal. People just didn't understand. For example, you cannot send photographs in a refrigerated container. So these the containers that sent these things back and forth uh, in the early days were refrigerated. So a refrigerated container makes its own kind of a cloud inside, makes moisture and ruins photographs. And I have to tell you, at this moment, in this archive, somewhere between 10 and 15% is completely ruined. And it's a combination of work that was stored in Auckland abysmally. It was a combination of storage that they had no idea how to handle. And it was shipment. They didn't have any idea what they were. They didn't have a photo person. And, and I have a lot of, I and my team, we have a lot of credibility in the photo industry. So... I can tell you at this moment, these photos are in the best storage they've been in, in their entire life. That's a fact. I'm looking at a um, I'm looking at two meters right now. I can I can see the humidity of the warehouse in my phone when I travel. So we're 42 percent humidity now, which makes me very happy. That was Daniel Miller from the Duncan Miller Gallery in Los Angeles, the owner of the Fairfax Media Photo Archive, which was sent offshore here back in 2013 to be digitised by a company in Arkansas, which went spectacularly belly up, and its owner, as you heard, put in prison. And as you also heard there from next week, Daniel Miller's selling selected images on a new online auction site, thefairfaxarchives.co.nz.